Talking God with Uncle Luke. This week, haunted. Come on in. Let's check it out. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, the whole way over to chapter 17, verse 10. All the bubbas of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Publical Channel. Always glad somebody is showing up. Why? Because, well, we just try to keep it simple. We just try to keep it, you know, where the Bubba and the Biblical meet up. That's what's going on here. Your uh, Bible needs to be read. Your prayers need to be said. And we need to get together and talk God. We need people talking God more, not less. Oh, my gosh. If we could just get people talking God more, not less. That's our big heart's desire here at the Publical Channel because we think that reading your Bible helps us all to ring the chamois of this life out to our fullest, and that's exactly what God has in mind. Having fun talking God and knowing the difference between bullshit and holy shit. That's right. May our soul magnify the Lord, like Aunt Mary says. Like may our spirit rejoice in God our Savior, like Aunt Mary says. And the Lord Jesus teaches us that God is our Father, that his name is to be hallowed, that his kingdom is coming. We ought to be looking forward to that. And that everything we get in each day is at God's hand. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And may we be forgiving. Lead us not into temptation. That, that's the kind of stuff that when we put it into motion, it really just rings the chamois of this life out to its best. Anyhow, we got a big passage coming up, so let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into it. Luke chapter 16, uh, over to chapter 17, verse 10. And we're going to start in the middle of this passage, round about the middle, not exactly the middle, but, you know, somewhere around 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. You know, that's where we need to be, right you know, in dead center is is the real punch that Uncle Luke tells us that Jesus drops into the audience. And then around this uh, punch, Uncle Luke tells a great story by telling the stories that Jesus told that reinforce what he's trying to convey to us and what we need to be thinking about. So this, the bit in the middle, the bit in the middle that is a bit like the, the old, you know, rabbit punch or the kidney punch, that uh, is Jesus' main point, goes along these lines. Jesus, you know, you know, has the audience and their attention, uh, both religious leaders and, com and disciples alike, okay? And, and uh, here's what he says. He said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is the abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than it is for one dot of the law to become void. Okay, this is a little bit, you know, of a head scratcher. We're going to, we're going to, you know, kind of, it doesn't take, I said a little bit of a head scratcher, not a lot of it, just a little bit. Um, what is Jesus getting after? Well, number one, number one, I think we need to understand that Jesus slash God has absolutely no need for force. And that is because God slash Jesus has the power of haunting. <laughs> and, and this is that time of year when we you know, think about the haunting. 
And God has the power of haunting, and we know it. And, and, and that's all the power he needs, and that's all the power he uses, is, is to continually haunt us um, by reminding us of one simple concept, and Jesus just lays it out. God knows the heart. You know, so the, all the arguments against God or all the arguments uh, about the existence of God, they all go away whenever you meet God face to face. And the Bible is pretty, you know, straightforward about the reality of meeting God face to face, that each and every one of us are personalities and people and individuals and that we matter and that you are going to go and meet your maker. And God is the maker. But more than that, in an ongoing sense, in this reality life that we live or this reality show that we live— God knows the heart. You can't BS God. God knows the heart, and Jesus lays it out plainly. God knows your heart. We, as people, justify ourselves before men. We are people pleasers. We need to be God pleasers. And God knows the difference, and that is what haunts us. We know intuitively that we can BS, we can, you know, fool people most of the time, but there's no fool in God. And so Jesus has no need for force. Christianity should never have any need for force because Jesus didn't have any need for force. And therefore, since Jesus has no need for force, the only tool that he uses is the power to haunt us. And, and really because, you know, the haunting is, is that at the end of the day, Jesus is right. There's not, you know, you don't find people really lambasting Jesus. You can find people lambasting the church. You can find people, you know, throwing the, the one, two at Christians. You know, you will hear in today's marketplace of our government and, and in our schools how nasty Christianity is and how it's the worst religion ever, you know, and it's responsible for all of the world's evils, blah, 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 wine, wine, wine. Um, but people don't particularly take a shot at Jesus, and they don't get specific about what the problem is. They just talk in generalities. Jesus says God cuts through it all. And he reads the heart. And at the end of the day, as human beings, we are people pleasers. It's how we grow. It's how we know. It's how we do everything. We please people. And God steps in to say, you were designed and you were made to not please people, but to please God. And then once you're pleasing God, well, then you ought to please people because God has pleasure in people. There is a difference in the way that we think, but Jesus calls us out. So anyhow... Nothing haunts us. Nothing haunts us more than the fact that God knows the hearts. And, and we do know the difference between exalting men and, you know, God. And that's what Jesus is getting at. But he also is getting at the fact that we, we pretend like we can't know God. And Jesus is, is making his statement very, very authoritative by saying, the law and the prophets— were until John. That is a shortcut for the Old Testament, as we might call it, the old part of the Bible. The law and the prophets is, is specifically Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then all of the prophets after that. It, it's really just a shortcut way of saying the Bible. And remember that the old part of the Bible is the only thing that Jesus is talking about. 
And he says that, that is active until John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is also one of those guys that haunted the people of his own time because he preached the message of repentance. He preached that everybody should be repenting. John the Baptist was, was very much telling people about money and sex, the very things that we get wrong so often in life. And more on that in a moment. But Jesus is endorsing John the Baptist's ministry. He's also endorsing the old part of the Bible, the law and the prophets. And he is saying, and now, now the kingdom of God is being preached. This is Jesus' favorite topic. This is what he, you know, this is what is stirring up the audiences, both positively and negatively, but it's his favorite topic, the kingdom of God. And he says, now the kingdom of God is being preached. Yeah. yeah. And everybody is forcing their way into it. It's a very awkward way of saying it. In English, we just have such a, it's really hard to capture what is being said um, in the Greek that the text is written in. But the idea coming through is that everybody's forcing their way into it, meaning that, that Jesus is, is really getting everybody scratching their heads. Jesus is, is troubling everybody. The enthusiastic are troubled as well as the, you know, people that are against Jesus, they're troubled. That, that, the, that Jesus preaching the kingdom of God has stirred up people um, you know, to, to this kind of force, you know, it's, he's being, he, he's haunting everybody. I think that's just what's being, you know, you know, the best way of understanding this, the force, you know, that Jesus is saying is, is, is that all I'm doing is, is preaching about the kingdom of God, the way that the law and the prophets did and John did. And yet, and yet there's a haunting yet there is a troubling, you know, tone, you know, in the atmosphere. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, stop playing games. God has made a way for you to know how to please God. It's not that, you know, troubling of a deal. God has been clear in the old part of the Bible. God has been clear in Jesus, you know, words as well. God is clear, but we're the ones, we're the ones who make everything so difficult. We're the ones who have to force our way, you know, into understanding what Jesus is saying, understanding what the Bible is saying. The law and the prophets, Jesus is saying, are God's words. And Jesus is the continuation of God's reliable words. Stop pretending like you can't understand God. That's not a real thing. No force from God is being used. We're the only ones using force, and there's no need for force because God and Jesus have the power to haunt us with just being right and better than anything that we have. That's why I'm a Christian, plain and simple, because there is zero options available that even come close to what God and Jesus offer in the Bible. And so around this statement, so this is the centerpiece of the statement that Jesus is making, but around the statement that Jesus is also saying there are two things, there are two things that get us into trouble, and those two things are sex and money. Oh yeah, baby, sex and money haunt us like no other because we mess it up. We mess up money and we mess up sex. And let's be honest, money and sex make us crazy. And money and sex really rule the world. Push comes to shove, this world has been and always will be 
ruled by money and sex. And so Jesus very intentionally puts the conversation of money and the conversation of adultery, sex, in the mix to make his point. And the point is, the world is messed up because of the way we use money and because of the way that we use sex. And <clears throat> both of those are outside of God's idea. Money, first of all, is made by man. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I remember being an adult by the time I ever thought about this. But money is not God-made. Money is man-made. And specifically, money is government-made. Man can't make money. Government needs to make money. So men make government, and then government makes money, but it's all part of the same package. Money is man's way of controlling this world. It's man's government. And the issue of money is the issue of government. And so is marriage. And here's what I mean by this. Go back and check out some of the uh, um, talks on marriage that I've done previously. But the reality that the Bible gives us is that God does not rule the world from the governments of man. God rules the world from the government of family. The mother and the father the two that have become one, is God's government. That's right. The father and the mother, the two that have become one to create a family, have indeed the place of God's government upon them. God governs the world through the family, through the moms and the dads. That is it. And so the reason why this comes into play is because God doesn't use money to rule the world like men do. God uses family to rule the world. And man messes up the world through money and its, you know, adulterous use of sex. Both of these two things are the primary things that drive us crazy and get us into so much trouble. And the big question is, have we ever really changed? In this whole section, Jesus is going to, you know, say some sayings, and he's also going to give a couple of very meaningful parables, but the end result is that they all haunt us because we know that Jesus is right. And the way that Jesus presents these stories calls us all out very quickly. And so, you know, Jesus is going to say things, you know, in all of this material from 16 verse 1 to 17 verse 10 like, you know, nobody can serve God and money. That haunts us. That, you know, all adultery is unlawful. And, uh, you know, all the, you know, and, and, and we do it all the time. That haunts us. That there is this huge chasm between heaven and hell. That haunts us. And that we are to forgive people seven times a day. That haunts us. And that we are to serve God as our call of duty. That haunts us. All of this stuff haunts us. And that's all that Jesus is doing, is, is haunting us with the reality of correctness, the reality of being right. Jesus doesn't need to, to lambaste us or beat us up with, with a fist. He just beats us up with our own bad ideas. And money and sex are the two things that humans mess up and mess us up more than anything. Jesus knows it because he knows the hearts of man. He understands 
the mankind that we are. Well, anyhow, let's uh, let's dive into the uh, the story that Jesus uh, gives first of all um, about you know a rich man uh, that has a manager. And that manager is brought up on charges for mishandling the property and is consequently going to fire the guy. And then the guy goes around and he takes care of accounts by actually reducing the amount of money they owe. It's a technical kind of conversation, but we know exactly the point that Jesus is making because of what Jesus concludes. And what Jesus concludes is that we need to make friends like This guy made friends. See, this guy ends up making friends to save his own neck, you know, and that's what we do. We make friends in this world. We make friends with our money. We make friends with our influence to save our own necks. And Jesus isn't saying that that's wrong. No, in fact, he commends this, you know, dishonest manager for being shrewd, but he's not commending his actions per se. He's just saying that this guy knows how to live in this world. And that is, he, you know, reduces the amount of money that people owe his master. And consequently, he's going to receive the benefits of that whenever he's fired. And Jesus is saying, you know, in the story, this guy knew that the art of survival is making friends. And Jesus is saying, you know that, we all know that. Do it. Go ahead and do it. But he flips the script by making it, you know, plain and available for us to understand that we need to use money to make friends too. And when I say we, I mean Christians. I mean people who are following God. We need to use money to make friends. That's what we need to do. But we need to use our money to make kingdom friends. We need to use our money to build the kingdom of God. We need to use our money to swell the rank and the file of human beings that are following God. And that, too, is a great survival skill. So Jesus takes what is entirely normal for us to use our money, you know, to benefit ourselves, you know, as we survive in this world. But to think about it in terms of it's God's world. Use your money to make friends for God's world. And Jesus says, that's smart thinking. If you really want to be smart in this world, be shrewd like the world is shrewd and making friends for its own survival, but make friends with the money of this world to swell the ranks of the kingdom of God. You know, so, so there it is. That's what Jesus is saying. Is that, you know, is that so hard? No, it's not. And Jesus then goes on to say, listen, if you're not faithful with the, you know, if, if you can't be faithful with the unrighteous stuff of this world, how can you possibly be faithful, you know, with the riches that last forever? You see, the world's riches, money, and all of the world's offerings, they end with your death. God's riches last forever. And God's riches for us are his words his words of revealing himself, his words of guiding us and directing us, his words of, of, of understanding, and his words that direct us to actually make friends in this world so that they can be a part of the kingdom of God too. That is what Jesus is calling making kingdom money. 
kingdom money is about making friends with this world's money that will be in the kingdom with you. And that too will be your preservation, your survival. <laughs> so anywho, Jesus, you know, lays out, you know, if, if, if you can't be faithful with that, which, you know, is unrighteous in this world, how are you going to be righteous? You know, how are you going to be faithful with that, which is eternal, which is uh, the riches that God is giving? And he says very plainly, you cannot serve God and money. Serving money is something that we all fall in the trap of doing. And Jesus says you can't serve money and serve God. You can use money to serve God. That's what you ought to be doing. That's what you ought to be thinking. And honestly, that thought haunts us. And it should haunt us. Right on. Okay. The next uh, uh, big story that Jesus puts around this to make his point is, is another rich man who has a poor beggar named Lazarus who lives, lives outside of his house. And the two men die. And, and, and then the hilarity or the poignancy, the sadness of this story breaks out, you know, as, as Lazarus, it turns out, is with Abraham, and, you know, at a great feast, having a time of his life, the kingdom of God. He's having drinks, he's having food, he's having great cheers, he's having great camaraderie with friends, it's all good. And the guy that passed up Lazarus every day, and remind, and, and Jesus tells the story, he says, Lazarus just wanted the crumbs from this guy's table. He didn't want anything more than that. But this guy passed him up every day. So now this guy's dead. And, and, the, and the trouble that we ha have here is that this guy can see Lazarus having fun and doing well. And this guy is parched. He, he, he needs a drink. He needs, you know, he needs food. He needs the camaraderie. He needs everything that Lazarus has. And he, he recognizes Abraham and he, he says, Oh, Father Abraham, oh, glad I saw you. Hey, hey. And he's still a jerk. He is still a jerk. How do we know he's still a jerk? Because he, tell, he, he tells Father Abraham, he gives Father Abraham a, a, an order to give Lazarus an order. You see, this guy still thinks like a jerk. He still doesn't understand the magnitude of what's really happened, that there's a huge chasm between him and the kingdom of God. And it's been his, his you know, that is who he is. That is who his soul is. That, you know, that is this guy. And, and he's still a jerk, even in death. He is still, he is still wanting others to do things for him. And Abraham says, sorry, man. Ain't gonna happen. There's there's too big. There's a gap here that cannot be crossed between where you are and where Lazarus is, which also brings up a very interesting point because I, you know I love songs, you know, and and I, there's a lot of songs out there that talk about you know I'm gonna be with my friends in hell. This passage reveals something that we need to catch hold of, and that is there's no friends in hell. There's because there's no friendship in hell. There's no beer in hell that you're going to have with your friends because well that's a kingdom thing. That's right. Wine and beer, drinks and food, partying, that's a heavenly thing. The camaraderie of friendship, that's a heavenly thing. What you're going to get if you don't want what God has to offer now. Well then, God will give you what you want, which is, you know, part of the message that Jesus is bringing forward in his preaching and teaching, but also the message that the Bible starts with in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. 
that God actually will give you what you want. That ought to haunt us. That, my friends, you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes on. And so in this story, too, there's another poignant or sad, you know, message here because the guy says, Oh, Father Abraham, if I would have known this, um, uh, he says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'd be different. He says, let me go back and tell my brothers, you know, so that they don't, you know, make the same mistake. And Abraham basically says, listen, your family is not ruled by God. They have Moses and the prophets. See, this is what Jesus was talking about. Moses and the prophets have been available saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. All the lessons that Jesus makes, all of the stories that Jesus tells, all of the points that Jesus make are also made in the old part of the Bible, in the Moses portion of the Bible, in the prophet section of the Bible, which is the whole old part of the Bible. And so what's Abraham's message to this guy other than, I'm sorry, but your family has always had the words of God available to them. And that hasn't changed who they are. It didn't change who you were. And so therefore, it's not going to change anything if you come back from the dead and tell them anything. They have made their choice. They don't need what God is offering. They have no need for God. That, my friends, is haunting. And it should haunt us. You know, that, that you know, there are moments in all of our lives when, when we clearly are moving in a way that doesn't need God. And, and that, that is, that is the, 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 the most haunting thing of all, that we could live on this planet with the idea that we don't need God. That's crazy talk. That is super crazy talk. But anyhow, Jesus moves on to say some sayings. He says, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to those through whom they would come. It'd be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck um, and cast in the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Stumble. Jesus says this world is all about temptation. God has been forthright. God has been honest from the opening three chapters of the Bible that this world, this world is troubled. This trouble, this world is troubled with evil. Um, God has allowed us to run this world with our money and with our bad ideas. Um, and, and it is a failure because it's going nowhere. It always ends with our death. No matter how good things are, it's only a glimmer or a hope of what we could have in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus makes his point. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And temptations are all around. But here's where it's ugly. The people who tempt others. We all have friends who tempt us to make bad decisions. And Jesus is saying, make sure you are never someone who tempts somebody to make a wrong decision, to make a decision uh, against God. I I'm horrified by the job that I do because I try to get the text right. And, you know, and, and because of this verse, I, 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 you know, I don't ever want to tempt anybody into anything other than an allegiance to God. And Jesus ends this little saying by saying, instead, um, you know, if your brother sins, rebuke him so that they might repent and repent. And if your brother repents, forgive, repent, 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 forgive, 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 forgive. 
There's no end to it. Just keep repenting and keep forgiving. That is the art of survival in this world. And when we understand the art of repentance and forgiveness, we are truly surviving this world and heading straight towards the kingdom of God, where we will, with Lazarus, sit at a banquet table and have our drinks and have our food and have our fun stories to tell and our camaraderie and our laughter and all of that. And Jesus says uh, uh, to the apostles, they say, increase our faith, Lord, because they're, they're getting nervous. They're haunted by this. They say, increase our faith. And Jesus says, it's not about the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. He says, you know, it, they say, increase your faith. And he says, if you had the, a tiny amount of faith, you could actually tell a mulberry tree to go into the, into the sea. Because it's not about the quantity of your faith. It's who you have faith in. If God wants a mulberry tree in, in the sea, then, then, then God will make a mulberry tree go into the sea. It's the object of our faith, which is God, that makes all the difference in the world. And then the scene ends with Jesus saying, will anyone who has a servant, you know, or, you know, plowing or raising your sheep, if you have a servant, do, do you, you know, invite that servant, you know, give that servant praise for just doing their job? And Jesus knows that the answer is just no, you don't, because it's that servant's duty. And so the reality that Jesus is presenting here is that you should see God as your father, a good father, but you should also see him as God. And it is your duty to revere God. It is your duty to do things God's way. It is your duty to call upon God. It is your duty to exalt God, not people. Your duty is to follow God, not the ways of this world. It's your duty to follow God's understanding of money and what we ought to be doing with our money. It's your duty to, to actually do what God says is the appropriate use of sex. It's your duty. It's, it, there, there's no praise deserved here because we you know, are a servant. But on the other hand, we're not just servants. We are children, and we ought to be happy with this duty because we're on the right side of everything. God and Father. God and Father, but God first. If, if it's God that we understand, then we just do it because it's the right thing to do. And he's our Father that, that does, you know, promise us everything that he has for just being his and having him as the object of our faith. That's what Jesus is haunting us with. And we know it and it does haunt us and it should haunt us because it should bring us back to Jesus, to bring us back to our father who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name and his kingdom come this day, our daily bread. That's right. Forgive us as we forgive. Lead us not into temptation. The world's full of it. Stay close to who Jesus is talking about. That's what we got. Catch you next time.